0: Welcome to the Modernizer Dive Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome back to the Modernizer Dive Podcast, CFML News Edition. It's March 24th, 2020. And I'm Gavin Pickens, software consultant for order solutions. I'm one of your hosts and Brad, who are you?
1: I am. I am Brad Wood, zombie hunter of order solutions in <laughs> my boomstick. I'm ready to face this apocalypse. Gavin's let's go.
0: What apocalypse? I don't know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> I, I was thinking uh, this morning, we need like a box product for this or something like Corona box. I don't even know what it would do, but it would have to involve killing zombies. Is there a way we can <laughs> work on this?
0: i don't know yeah maybe we could do a, a command box uh tool that just pulls in all the stats and live counters them inside your console so you can see all the the counts going up and down
1: It's depressing though yeah if i did it i would only <laughs> want stats that showed like how many like recovered COVID 19 cases there are i'm tired of looking at all the new ones yeah. nobody talks about the recovered ones it's actually a lot more not depressing <laughs> what's the opposite of depressing <laughs>
0: inspiring positive there you go
1: it's more inspiring to look at
0: good stuff yeah just ignore the other ones that's a good idea so that's what we're gonna to do today we're gonna to give you some news so you can forget about everything else so uh, thanks to our sponsor order solutions um, without them we wouldn't be able to do this podcast so thank you for that and for those you who don't know um, call box platform command box test box content box uh, the do- command box, Docker images, everything is created by Auto Solutions and they and do... box. <laughs> Not yet. Don't release it <laughs> yet, Brad. Um, but yeah, so all those products are made by Auto Solutions and we offer training. So you can get trained by the people who made those tools so you can get uh, the training where you need it. Uh, usually we offer on-site, but currently we're only offering online training. So if you're looking for training for one of those tools or something else that we offer uh please let order solutions know and we can arrange something for you so um we we definitely uh, have a lot of online training and we expect that's going to be even more in the upcoming time we also want to thank our patreon supporters that now we're up to 41 percent of our mark for fully funding all of our podcasts via our patreon site which is patreon.com slash order solutions so if you love our podcast and all that we do for cfml um you know, consider chipping in and we're, we're making progress towards that goal. So hopefully that goal can be self-sustaining and uh, then we can, you know, keep giving you this great content and maybe some more.
1: We've had some uh, some new signups to Patreon recently, which I think we'll talk about at the end, right?
0: Yep. Uh, There's a couple of new ones last week. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're getting some new ones trickling in. So we appreciate that. Thank you, everybody.
1: Excellent.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's get on with the news. So what's the first item on our news list today, Brad?
1: Um, um oh, news and events. Uh, ITB is now da, da, a virtual conference. Yep. So uh yeah, virtual. We didn't we really, really wanted to be able to do this thing live, but there's just no way. So um after basically talking it over a lot and monitoring all this COVID-19 nonsense and reading about all the health official recommendations, um, we're turning it into a virtual conference. So it's still happening, uh, still have all the content, but it's going to be online.
0: Yep, so the same days. So it'll be the, the 7th and 8th of May. Um, the conference is going to go on just like a virtual conference. So same days, same schedule, actually a couple of speakers that weren't able to make it are now going to make it. So that's actually pretty exciting. So we had one that couldn't make it due to another conflict and now he's able to present. So, um, you'll see the schedules updated a little bit, but it's going to be the same time. And so there'll be basically two live stream sessions that you can watch if you're, uh, a, a ticket. And then if you don't you get to see a session, the session's mm-hmm. going to be recorded. so an attendee you get access to all those sessions as well Um, the keynotes will be streamed live for free so if you guys aren't able to make it and purchase a ticket um, you can still watch the live stream so we usually have a pretty good recap of everything happening in the oldest world Um, so the keynotes will be free and the Mm -hmm. conference tickets since we don't have the in-person conference, we don't have to worry about all the hotel accommodation for all the speakers and the hotel venue itself and all the food. Um, the ticket prices have been slashed dramatically. So the conference ticket prices are one ninety nine and as I mentioned that gives you access to all the recordings as well. So I think it's actually cheaper than we had the video package last year for the conference while the conference was on. So that's that's a pretty good deal, I think. Um so yeah, registration is now available if you want to go and register that for into the box.org. Um, everyone has been asking about the workshops though. What about the workshops? So we decided instead of trying to get all those workshops scheduled the same day before the two days before, um, uh, we were going to basically postpone those. So, um, you should be getting refunds if you purchase tickets already for the workshops. And what we're going to do is we're going to schedule them at later times and we're, we're trying to work out the schedule Um we're probably going to have at least uh maybe one or even two a month and just spread them out over the next few months so that way if somebody wants to take enter to bdd they have no conflicts they can just take that one and then when we do the containerization one if you want to do it you can sign up and do that and so we're going to spread them out uh, a little bit so that way everyone can take what they need to um and that gives us you know more time to concentrate on delivering the right workshop experience. Um, With sessions, it's not as much crowd interaction. It is nice to have that crowd interaction, though. That's something we'll miss with the online. But with a workshop, we really do like to be, you know, talking. We look look over your shoulder, help you with things. So we want to make sure that that experience is, you know, up to par. And so if we want to have a bigger registration of workshops, we have to make sure we schedule the right number of helpers and have Zoom rooms with breakout sessions so we can have, like, little groups. Um, So we're going to make sure that they're, you know, They're top quality workshops as well. So we'll give you more information on the workshops as we get them.
1: Cool. Mingo Hagen pointed out in the chat that apparently we uh, tweeted out the link to last week's video. So that's where all all our live viewers are. They're busy watching last week's, I guess. I wonder if they've noticed it yet. Really? Huh? Yeah, I just tested it. I clicked the link and it opened up the March 17th podcast recording. Oops. So I'm sure oh. there's at least 100 people right now, probably just oh, you know studiously what? watching last week's recording.
0: Actually, I didn't change the title on it, so it says last week, but it's actually this week's. Whoops. So let me Is update it? that right now. Sorry, people. So <laughs> yeah, the, the link had the wrong name on it. Whoops. But, uh, but, the link-
1: I, but it's actually a link to an hour and 14 minute video, though. It's not a link to a live stream.
0: Oh, then I really messed up. So sorry, everybody. <laughs> So,
1: uh, well, Mingo figured it out so we can't we can't trick everybody.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to share we this link right now just in case. So, I must have shared the wrong one. Well, Almost. it never hurts
1: to get more views on on the previous recordings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. okay.
1: Also, uh did, did I zoned out? Did you talk about the 2019 videos?
0: No, I did not. So go for it.
1: All right. So last year's end of the box videos were recorded and they are on sale now for $9 and 99 cents. Is that the real price? Is it that cheap? Gavin?
0: Yeah, we're doing the discount just to let everybody, you know, give some more content for those are in between jobs or lower jobs and they're looking for content to learn.
1: You're bored. You want to pick up some stuff. Didn't get to make it to into the box last year. There you go. Boom. 10 bucks and you can watch all the videos. So that's through our Vimeo on-demand service. So where do they go to uh, to purchase that?
0: They go to vimeo.com and then on-demand slash ITB oh, 2019. Here we go. The There's link.
1: a big green button that says buy all, $9.99, stream anytime.
0: Yep. And it's pretty nice. You just go in there and you can even download them to your devices too. So if you've got a tablet or something and, you know, maybe you're uh, you're in the, the backyard with the kids playing or whatever and you want to watch some videos, you can uh, watch Brad talk as he likes to do
1: get the uh, backyard against or you can watch john walk in and off of the camera
0: <laughs> Yep, yeah, exactly so but yeah we dropped the price for 2019 and i believe 2018 is a, uh, the same deal so um i'll get that link and add to the show notes as well i think it's the same link but with 2018 on the end of it i'm gonna try it right now
1: all right i just tried to post the link from 2019 in the chat okay let's see if youtube lets it through
0: Yep, just YouTube see it. approve. Yep. So 2018 uh, is not <laughs> just the, that one there, so I'm gonna have to find it for you guys, and uh, we'll add that to the show notes. So, but yeah, I believe 2018 is discounted as well. So, trying to give you some extra content for cheap, and hopefully get you excited about 2020, and that way you guys will register for that one as well.
1: <laughs> Speaking of 2020 and microservices
0: architecture. Uh, we also have this
1: Adobe webinar coming up, Trends and Challenges. Uh, so Alicia Dvorak is doing this one.
0: Looks so like it's, it's going to be March
1: 25th. Dang. Uh, so when is that? 9 a.m. Pacific. So yeah. 11 a.m. my time. Okay. So it's going to be right before the, the Fusion Reactor one.
0: Yeah. So Fusion Reactor has theirs uh, basically March 25th <laughs> at 3 p.m. Eastern. So, yeah, it's 12 o'clock is Alicia's Eastern. And then three hours later, Fusion Reactor has theirs.
1: I, I like how we are, like half our times are in Pacific and half of them are in Eastern. I think we should just consolidate, and do everything in Central. Split the difference? Also, I'm in Central, so I'm selfish.
0: I usually <laughs> try and put me. one or you know two or three of them just in case people can't do the math because I really I really <laughs> st- stink at this. I've been here like 20 years now and I'm still struggling with these. And then, by here
1: he means the U.S.
0: Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: So anyway, the the Adobe one uh, discuss, discussing microservice trends, architecture challenges. Uh just reading a little bio here. Uh, applications of organically grown exist in different states, uh, yeah. usually inherit a hybrid of a monolith, the addition of services. So this is just kind of talking about uh how Adobe ColdFusion Fusion gives you tools to break stuff into a microservices architecture. Now, what I'm not sure is if this is really covering any like new features in Cold Fusion 2020, or if it's just kind of a general generic like how to use Cold
0: Fusion. Yeah, this is more of a generic one, and actually when they uh did this one at the, I think it was DivCon or something with DevFest up in, uh, I think it was in Oakland, the one that uh, Adobe okay. just went to a few weeks back. Um, yeah. They did it more, you know, generic style. Yeah. They had some Cold Fusion examples and everything, but it was actually, you know, a conference that had more than one language. So it was just, it was a lot of, right. you know, just the, the theory behind it and some implementation. Uh, right but on. I'm sure and that, that would she's be gonna-
1: appropriate for a non Fusion conference just to be a generic uh, session on that. And of course, work, Cold fusion on the side. Eric no. says UTC. Ah, forget about that nonsense. I'd be up I'd be like, wait, how many hours do I subtract? Is it is it daylight savings time? Is it am I six behind or five behind? But I just I would I wouldn't even show up. I'd be like, screw it. I quit.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: also, so, can we call it Zulu? It's Zulu time. Is that what it is? I don't, I don't know. know. It's just never name I've heard uh, the UTC referred to as. Central yep. European time. What if we took a vote? I, I'm actually curious, like, what percentage of our listeners are in what time zone? We should do, like, a vote where all the modernizer or Die podcast listeners get to vote, and whoever live the most number of people live in whatever time zone, will announce all things in that time zone. That would be awesome.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: I don't know. We may have a lot of people <laughs> in Central European time, you know? Mm, we you might, gotta, yeah. Appease the masses, right?
0: Yep. So if you want to sign up for that one, you can go to cfwebinar-trans.meetus.adobevents.com, or I just posted the link in the chat a little bit ago, and we'll also have that in the show notes for you. And as we mentioned, Fusion Reactor has their webinar tomorrow, which is installing Fusion Reactor in dynamic environments. And this session will cover how to automate the installation of Fusion Reactor via Docker, command box, and also you know any other questions that you guys have about Fusion Reactor and how to install it. So here's the
1: thing, Gavin, I don't even know if you know it yet. I don't know if they announced it. I'm going to be a special guest on, I don't know if I'll be special, but I'm going to be a guest on the Fusion Reactor webinar tomorrow.
0: Okay, Um, well, I'll put that in here with special guests. Which is, (laughs) with
1: special guests, which is why I was curious if it overlapped the Adobe webinar, because I was like, I think going on at the same time. Um, So yeah, so the Charlie Earhart's helping out um, with the Fusion Reactor stuff, and uh, Mikey, they bugged me and said, hey, you want to come talk about the command box portions of this? And I was like, yeah, I love to talk and flap my mouth. So, sure. <laughs> um, so, anyway, I'll be uh, I'll be helping out with that tomorrow, which is 2 p.m. Central for you centralites.
0: <laughs> yep, or lunchtime for me.
1: Lunchtime for Gavin.
0: Yep. And so <laughs> while we're talking about time, Charlie said, that he's central time, even though many cities that are west of him are actually on eastern time. Don't get don't get me started on weirdness. was <laughs> possible?
1: I think you know i i i had floated the theory once. What if the world just got rid of time zones and it was always the same time o'clock clock anywhere in the world, and just depending on where you lived, you would just get up at a different time? I, hey, I think that might actually be easier because when you scheduled a meeting, it would just be like meetings at eight p.m. and it wouldn't be like what time zone; it'd be like the world all has eight p.m. at the same time.
0: The the I weird part know. would be is that most people compare. Bed times, which would not be confusing, and kids have enough trouble reading a digital clock these days, let alone a normal clock. And if you threw in random times, that'd be crazy. I
1: have no sympathy for the so called kids, Gavin.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, time zones are a nightmare. Darn generation
1: Z or whatever letter we've made it to now. Yeah, I don't know. I saw a headline yesterday that was like, people are blaming the millennials for not taking the. COVID-19 quarantine seriously, and the millennials' response is, whoa, whoa, it's not us. It's the Generation Z guys you are, you guys want to complain about. I don't know. Nobody even knows who to complain about these days. just the kids.
0: Yeah, the kids.
1: Kids coding in Node and Python. What do they know?
0: Yeah, so that's tomorrow. You can register on the com site. <laughs> they have a, a blog post, and we've got the, the link, which I don't think Brad copied yet, so I'm going to beat him to it.
1: No, I didn't. Sorry.
0: Okay, and then if you're not sick of webinars by then, on Friday, (laughs) um, Michael Bourne is doing um, one on CB Elasticsearch, so that is 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, and 8 Pacific, and I don't know the rest, I guess GMT minus 5, so yeah. So, Michael Bourne is going to be talking about CB Elasticsearch and giving you a a rundown of how to get started with that and why you might want to consider using CB Elasticsearch. And you can register for that one on autosolutions.com slash events slash webinars, where you can also see our previous webinars we've done. So, okay. And then there's another one. Oh, my gosh. More webinars. But wait,
1: there's more. Call now and (laughs) receive two.
0: So, yeah, Alicia is doing... um. And another Adobe <laughs> webinar, Journey Through the Adobe Cold Fusion Performance Monitoring Tool. So if you guys haven't used that. It's journey
1: to the Adobe Cold Fusion Performance Monitoring Tool.
0: Yep. So in April 9th, so that's a couple of weeks away now. Um, but she's got um, the session basically is all demos, no slides. She's so just going to be walking through the performance monitoring tool, show you how different things work. And she's got a bunch of code that will run and try and, you know, trigger off events so you can see them popping up in the performance monitoring tool. So uh, if you guys are using Adobe whole fusion, this one's included. I can't remember if you have to have an enterprise for it though. It's one of those ones that um, I don't remember I what licensing I bet Charlie well. knows. Yep. Charlie, give us an answer and we'll share it with those from, from the chat. The
1: question was, do you have to have Adobe cold fusion enterprise license to get the performance monitoring tool? Does it come with standard? I don't believe it was, it was per- purchasable like separately. I think it just came with your license. Yeah, I just I don't know which
0: license. So, See, when uh, I had
1: played with it, I had just like, downloaded the trial of it, I think, and so I hadn't messed with the license.
0: Okay. So we also had a couple webinars last week, in case you missed it. So John Farrar had a webinar about Cold Fusion Community Education 2020 and beyond. And and so our show notes from last week, we have the link where you could register. If you register, you can actually get the previous recording as well. So even though that happened last week on Tuesday, um, you can still get that recording. And actually, Rick Sheaf did a presentation for the Adobe uh, about 2020, and I have not found the recording for the link yet, Um, the link for the recording yet, sorry. So if somebody has that, uh, let me know, and I'll, I'll try and get that added to the show notes for everybody.
1: Right, there's that link for uh, John Ferrars. Just kind of ugly, but if you register, you can get the recording.
0: Yep. I have to watch that one still. I, I missed that.
1: WebinarNinja.com.
0: Yep. Okay, so that's our webinars. We should have a whole session just for damn webinars now. <laughs> we
1: have a lot of webinars. Well, yep. hey, nobody has anything to do right now, so.
0: Yep, I'm sure there'll be a I've lot more. I've been thinking about now. taking
1: some of this extra time to get some screencasts out for Command Box 5. I, one of the things in the back of my plate that i need to do
0: yep okay so also we had some releases so Command box Stalker 3.0 and 3.0.1 <laughs> release whenever you whenever you see a point
1: 0.1 patch release that comes out like right after a main release you're like oh had a few bugs there in that first one didn't you
0: yep <laughs> for at least a
1: couple things you're like ah crap we should have done this as well point 0.1 release
0: yep and I know, it's pretty... command box <laughs> yep and so the docker image um for command box is the same <laughs> thing so john colson and, and the team has been working hard on that and they announced 3.0.0 release excuse me i might have to sneeze here oh oh, Uh-oh. darn
1: COVID 19. so the 0. 0.1 release make sure you pull that um it was a nasty little bug that had snuck into the 3.0 um snuck into the 3.0 release of the docker containers that um it would mess. It would it would get a little confused on whether or not you were using a custom rewrite, and uh, your server wouldn't start. It would have some confusion there and had to load the rewrite file. I think a workaround I heard John say is if you set like the headless environment variable to false, it would uh, it would work around it. Um, but just make sure you pull the 3.0.1 release of the command box Docker images, and I think John has that all straightened out. Um,
0: cool. So yeah.
1: Uh, John didn't bl- put a blog up for the 301. He just announced it in some of the social media channels. Yeah. But uh, there's a link to the 300 which has kind of a list of all the new features. There's uh, some compatibility changes in this one. Um, so if you're doing anything in your Docker builds that are referencing like the the folder paths so of where stuff lives, uh, this one kind of moved a few things around. So that's all documented in that link as far as what where all the directories are right now. And you can make any changes that you need to.
0: Yep, very cool.
1: And he's also uh, incorporating like the Lucy light builds and stuff as well. There's he has like eighty zillion tags here, <laughs> um, and I'd seen some some confusion as well, just on what versions of the latest Docker containers use Java 11 and what versions use Java 8. Um, so, afraid to point this out real quick. Um, there's some people that expected all the new Docker images to use Java 11, but the problem is there's still enough people on, you know, Adobe ColdFusion 11 or Lucy 5.2 or something that doesn't work yet on Java 11. So the, like, out-of-the-box tag that you get still has JDK 8. Um, and then as, as he talks about here in the blog post, if you want um, JDK 11, then he has a list of tags that include that automatically. So anyway, it's all documented. Just make sure you skim over that so you're using the right tag and you're getting the right Java version all that good stuff.
0: Yep. Uh, And that's another reason not to use latest. People don't use latest.
1: (laughs) Unless you'd like to live on the edge. Mm. Police likes to live on the edge.
0: Yeah, but they call it bleeding Ridge for a reason because it (laughs) ends up to be a really bloody mess. Bloody
1: mess. Just like Harry. After he finally beat Voldemort, we finally watched the last movie. My family's been working our way through the Harry Potter movies. Harry Potter finally finished them last
0: night. Okay, no spoilers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they all die. They all die in the end. My daughter was very disappointed because every time she would get a favorite character in Harry Potter, they would die. Like the next book. She's like, oh no, they killed off so-and-so. Why? I'm like, well, you know.
0: What yeah. Don't
1: funny. get attached to him.
0: Okay, so we also have a <laughs> reminder. Dude, says he hits an iceberg at the end.
1: <laughs> I just saw a Titanic play recently. Anyway, okay. State of the CF union. Go on, go on, Gavin. Yep. So, just a
0: reminder that uh, the state of the CF union survey is out. Um, and so we're, we're getting responses. I think um, Michaela announced that we have about 400 responses so far. Um, 400. Did
1: it go up? Jeez. I think
0: it had 376, 400, somewhere around there. Wow, I believe great. so. So, yeah, so we've got a lot of responses, but we'd need some more. So if you can share that link, it's teratech.com slash state dash of dash. The dash CF Union dash twenty twenty. So I'll call Or screw
1: that, that. Here's the link and come yeah. in the chat. <laughs> um come on people. We've got like over three thousand people in the CFML slack team. There might be some like fake accounts in there. Thirty four hundred. I know we can get more than five hundred people to come take the silly little survey, so
0: Yep. It's it. not just silly though. We do actually use that data to help us um, build tools orders. To and I'm sure Lucy and Adobe um pay attention to some of that stuff as well. So it's it's useful for everybody. Um so definitely share that and um if there's something missing off the list, let it, let them know as well and they can add that um that option and go from there. But it's definitely an interesting one, and I still want to see the overtime uh, stats so we can see how things have grown over time. Because I know we've been doing this survey for a long time now, right? Do you know how many years it's been around for? You
1: no, know, I don't know how many years it's been, but it's definitely been a while. I mean, when, One of the first times I remember using the survey was when Luis wanted to drop Cold Fusion 9 back in ColdBox 4, I believe. Um, and I have talked Luis out of it because of the data in the state of the CF union survey. And there were like 20%, you know, one in five people still had cold fusion nine servers in play. Um, and so whatever the heck that was, it's at least that old.
0: Yeah. I thought it was yeah, pretty old. So it's very interesting, but yeah, I like to see the stats over time to see if like see command box uses go up or, you know, and see some of the, you know, different frameworks go up and down. So, mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're on to conferences. So what's left of them anyway? Yep. So Adobe CF Summit 2020 East was canceled, in case you didn't know it. Um, the pre-conference workshop, the Auto Solutions, was canceled for that. The post-conference workshops for that was canceled. Uh, Adobe is um planning to have a developer week sometime soon, so uh, basically a week of online presentations similar to a little virtual conference, um, but no uh, information is being released about that as of yet. So. Um, that leads us with Into the Box 2020, which we already gave you a breakdown. So it will be a virtual conference. No workshops announced at this time. We will be doing them, just they'll be ad hoc later, not attached to the conference. Um, the tickets are on sale now. They're $1.99 discounted down from the, the previous pricing. You can pr- register at IntoTheBox.org and then we'll be recording the sessions and they'll be available for you to watch uh live or after the fact. So that's Into the Box 2020. <laughs> now, CF Summit West and CF Camp are to be announced. We'll just have to see what happens with everything going on. Um, I'm sure there'll be more virtual stuff going on. There are a lot of virtual conferences starting up, um, just because of the current situation. Um, some for JavaScript, some for just developers in general. So definitely check those out. Uh, we don't have any there, but if anyone has some that they recommend, uh, us talking about send us a, a tweet um, send us a link through and we'll add them to our list here for you guys okay conference is done blogs done. tweets and videos of the week
1: so uh this is uh, one that james moberg's been talking about a while the same site cookie uh functionality which is something i think was requested uh quite some time ago um and i if i recall i believe this uh this affect the session cookies or is it the ability to set set it on any cookie
0: um well i think um, it's about the the session ones but
1: yeah yeah so i'd like to use the same site cookie attribute with cf cookie that's right um and so this was created back actually woo, almost one year ago to the day march 22nd 20, oh, two years ago to the day 2018 so two years ago this uh this ticket was put in and it didn't make it in the last um, Adobe update, but it, it has been released now as a hot fix. So if you were just dying to be able to use the same site attribute on your cookies, in Adobe ColdFusion, uh, there is a hot fix out now, which is built for Adobe ColdFusion 2016 and 2018. Um that provides us functionality. So that just, uh, I think, it was announced this morning. If I
0: recall. Yeah, and I have a, a blog post later on where Charlie was talking about that, and he updated the blog posts with the newer information too. So we'll we'll get to that and give you a link to that one as well. So Excellent. That- and make sure you're on Command Box Five if you want to play with it, because Adobe had a
1: bug which I worked around. <laughs> because Adobe closed my stinking ticket, they're like, "We're not going to fix this. it's your problem." Uh, So I had to work around their stupid bug. Um, There's a bug that if you're in Command Box 4X and you try to apply a hotfix, they load the jars in a random order and it doesn't work right. Uh, So that was uh, rectified in Command Box 5. You can actually use Adobe hotfixes and they'll load the jars in the right order. So a little side note, if you want to play with that same site stuff.
0: Cool. Okay, next on the list, we have a blog from Ben Adele about copying data from one table to another using inner join update query in MySQL. So mm-hmm. this is pretty interesting. Uh, this is a series that he's been working on converting his 15 years of HTML content over to Markdown. And so um, basically one of the approaches he's doing is taking the data and copying it to another table, intermediate table, and then once he's actually done all the manipulation of that, off the production server, you know, you can do that locally or whatnot, and then take the intermediate table back and then copy it in. And so what he's doing, he's doing an update query with an inner join. And so, and he says he forgets the syntax for that. So he thought he'd put a little demo for future reference for himself and everybody else. And so it's kind of a nice little blog post here. I'll share my screen so you guys can see. And so he has the, you know, the the sequel here, basically pulling it in, you'll see this empty content markdown. And then he has his uh, cleanup table here and then, you know, work through the scripts. So it's kind of nice, it shows the, the process and only updating fields that don't currently have it. Um, so, but yeah, it's a nice, you know, very thorough as Ben's usually is, uh, it goes through the whole process. So if you guys are looking to do some type of migration or something, or just wanting to do some complicated updates, uh, that's pretty useful. This post comes with
1: an epilogue. Fancy. Epilogue.
0: Yep, very cool. There
1: you go. That's a nice little reference for some MySQL syntax.
0: Yep. And then next we had um, a blog post about Charlie, and this actually popped up right after the uh, podcast last week where everybody was updating their their Adobe (laughs) sites and wondering why things were breaking. So... Uh, Charlie released a a blog post, three reasons your site may break and how to fix them after applying the March 2020 update. Number two
1: will amaze you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So basically, as usual, um, the second step right after the update, you know, is you basically need to redo your configuration for your web server. I actually
1: searched the tech note And I couldn't find, unless they edited it since last week, I couldn't find anywhere where it explicitly said rebuild your connector. I know it's kind of a given. You usually do it if you Mm -hmm. know what's good for you. Yeah. Um, That was interesting. Did we we talk about GhostCat last week? I've lost track.
0: Sorry? Did we talk about what? Did we
1: talk about GhostCat last week?
0: I don't know.
1: When did the Adobe updates drop what day was that
0: it came out the day that we were actually doing the podcast so it was announced right before we went live but none of the feedback or backlash came out after so what's up with ghost cat i don't i don't know what this ghost cat thing is
1: i mean so the 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 updates from adobe are primarily a security update for the so-called ghost cat um, exploit, I think it's really hilarious when exploits or, you know, viruses all, all get like a fancy little, like clever name and an icon. Remember the, the SSL one that was like bleed heart bleed, the oh, yeah. heart bleed, you know, everybody had the little icon of the heart with blood dripping. Um, it's just, it's just funny. Uh, but anyway, um, it, at first I was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, there's this new exploit It affects people using AJP. Um, And I was a little disappointed almost when I realized that it wasn't really a bug uh, nearly as much as it was AJP just doing exactly what it was always designed to do. And the fact that if, you know, you don't actually lock down your servers properly, uh, then, you know, people can can potentially do malicious things. Um, So the way it is, is most people are used to like an HTTP listener. Um, like if you just use you no know, regular Apache with HTTP proxy um, the way your, H- your HTTP listeners are always uh, defined is they're kind of locked into a web root you have a document root and then you say you know any path that comes into the URL will be looked at relative to this document root so you know when you go to a, a website you can't just re- ask for files anywhere on the C drive of the server you ask for files that are all relative to the document root that's kind of part and parcel of your HTTP listeners the way that AJP works and I've never really thought about this or realized it until recently, but um, AJP, is a protocol that's largely used between um, IIS and a back-end web server, the Adobe Fusion built-in connector is essentially a modified AJP listener. Um, and the listener isn't really part of ColdFusion, or Lucy for that matter, the listener is part of your servlet container, Tomcat, or Undertow, or Jetty, uh, whatever it is that's hosting the the war, it's what actually listens on the AJP port, typically 8009. And so your your, your web server is proxying the incoming HTTP request over the AJP protocol to the servlet container, which then runs the servlet, which is Cold Fusion or Lucy. So, um, AJP is kind of a consolidated uh, binary protocol. It combines HTTPS and HTTP down to just you know the same thing. But the way the AJP works is it doesn't give it doesn't request a relative path inside of a kind of hard coded web root. It just provides a fully absolute path to a JSP, typically, um, you know, anywhere on the the hard drive of the server. So the AJP AJP protocol, you connect to it and you say, give me C colon slash random folder path slash this JSP and the protocol says, okay, coming right up, right? Um, so what happens is if you have the AJP listener enabled in your server container, and if it's listening on external ports or external IPs, not just localhost, and if the port the AJP listener is listening on is exposed to the outside internet or maybe just compromise machines inside of your network, then A malicious, if all those ifs are passed, then a malicious user could connect directly to the AJP uh, protocol to the AJP port on your server, bypassing IIS or whatever the web server you might have in front of it, and they can directly request any path off of your server, Um, which means they could hit you know uh, pages that they're not supposed to outside of the web root, or if they're lucky enough to figure out file paths, you might have a web app that allows you to upload files and they could upload a malicious JSP and if they could figure out where the temporary directory was they got uploaded to, then they could hit the AJP listener and they could say, hey, run this file for me. There's a whole lot of ifs in place that it takes to exploit Ghostcat. Um, so like a command box server, for instance, AJP is off by default. So there's nothing to even worry about unless you're using AJP and binding it to external IPs and not blocking it by the firewall. I was a lot, I hate to say when I'm not worried about exploit, but once I figured out all the ifs and that it really wasn't a bug per se, it's just the AJP protocol doing the thing it does. And hey, idiots, you should not just leave it exposed to the internet. I was kind of like, oh, well, that's not as bad, but still it, the potential is there. So that's basically what the Adobe fixes are all about. Now, like I said, it doesn't really affect Adobe ColdFusion proper, nor Lucy. It's really all the Servlet container, because that's where the AJP listener is. So what Adobe did in, the, in their updates was basically what every single Servlet container has been doing out there, which is change the AJP listener default to be localhost only. So you would already, right off the bat, have to be on the physical machine to even be able to connect to it. Um, and the second thing is, instead of making AJP just be like a wide open door, it's like, you know, hey, anybody want to connect to my port? Just tell me what you want. It's like a McDonald's drive through You don't have to pay, right? Um, they set up a secret, which is sort of like a really crude form of authentication, where the listener says, I only accept connections that bear this special token that tells me that you're legit. And then your proxy in, which is IIS or Apache, has to have the same secret key or token uh, uh, configured. So every time your proxy makes a connection and says, you know, hey, AJP port, I've got a request for you to pass off to the servlet. It says, okay, just the token match. All right, you're left through. So the two things are basically the default ports you bind on and then setting up the token. But that token bit is where in the, the issue lies, because what happens is that if you don't rebuild your connectors and Adobe confusion. the update sets up a, a token on the listener side. And unless that also gets put in IIS, all of a sudden your entire site stops working, which is basically what happened with like Ben Nadell's site. Right. He had, you know, a hosting hosted blog he applies the update his entire site basically goes offline. He can't hit anything because IIS can no longer talk to the AJP listener. Cause it's like, Oh, that's not the right secret key. I'm not listening to you. So it's an easy fix, but it's obviously very, um, confusing for people. They apply an update and usually the updates just kind of work. I and mean, then it's like your entire site goes offline. So, uh, I'm glad Charlie put that post out cause, uh, a lot of people I don't think understand all the things going on and what's being updated. Um,
0: yeah, I so, mean, the other thing is, too, like you said, it's now defaults to local IP, so if you have a an, a server in your network that actually has you know, different servers that it connects to, so IIS is separate from your ACF box, yep. then yep. now it won't listen to it either because it's not listening for non-local
1: ports. Exactly, so, yeah. So if you have yeah. IIS on a different VM reaching across, then that's not going to work with the default configuration. Absolutely.
0: Yep. So Charlie has two blog posts. I've shared them both in there. So one is on the cold fusion portal, but he also has a longer version on his, uh, key There site. So there you go. definitely a lot of great and information in there for you guys to check For out.
1: Lucy users. Lucy hasn't really put out any particular fix. Um, cause like, again, it's not anything Lucy directly would deal with, but the latest version of Tomcat that they bundle with the installer essentially, uh, allows for the secret. So if you're using like mod CFML, they've come out with an update um, that also supports the secret key. Bond code supports the secret key. Um, So whatever you're doing, it's a bit more manual in the Lucy world, but you can still um, lock down against it. If you're curious about configuring a secret key with Command Box, the version of Undertow that Command Box 5 ships with doesn't support a secret key. So you can still bind it to localhost, block it with your firewall. But if you wanna have it open and have a secret key, that'll probably come in an update very soon. Undertow just added support for secret keys on their ajp listeners so as soon as we bundle that version of undertow with command box then um you'll be able to use that but in the meantime find a local host make sure you block out the firewall and that's that's your good line of defense
0: yep okay so done with that for now <laughs> no, enough about um. ghost cat Yep. Yeah. So next, the blog um, from James Moberg, which is something else that could break everything. So cold <laughs> fusion.
1: You know. Whenever I see SSL stuff, I'm like, oh crap, what's going to break now?
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, um, this blog post is a cold fusion test for new Amazon Trust Services certificates. And so he re- received an email notification from Amazon that S3 and CloudFront <laughs> were were migrating default certificates to the Amazon Trust Services in March 2021. And so as a cold fusion developer he uses S3. We use S3 for Forgebox and other things. A lot of people using S3. So um, he basically wanted to go through and test these new certificates and, and make sure that everything doesn't break next year when they do their thing. So this blog post sort of walks through a little test for that and it's something to be aware of. But it is March 2021, so we have time. But as usual, everyone leaves it to the last minute. So... Uh, I know that everyone so, authorized .NET when they changed all their SSL certificates and their URLs and all that stuff. I got a lot of customers calling me like the day after saying it's all not working. <laughs> so because... running,
1: running his little sample on TriCF on Lucy five, it tests five different root certs and four of them fail. Oh, really? So if Amazon was to, if I, if I understand this correctly, these are basically new root certs that. You know your certifications will will trust but what this means is if you need to make an http request to any domain that uses a cert that points to this as the root cert if that cutover happened today four out of five of these domains wouldn't even work
0: yeah so hopefully they're the you know those updates are going to take time and by the time it gets around to the end things will be working but i always and, I mean, worry about that stuff because there will yeah.
1: always be workarounds um wow well, look at this on 2018 they all work um so here when there's always workarounds, right? You can always manually trust these certs. So there's this is, I'm I'm kind of worried about Lucy in this regard. Um on, Adobe and Lucy handle this differently, right? Adobe just defaults to whatever the, the trust the key store because your your JVM and even your operating system have like a default key store, which is like these are the root certs that are we we trust all these. These guys, they're all good. We trust every single one of these, and any cert that trusts that is trusted by these or whichever way the trust goes you know follow the chain up and as long as it reaches a trusted cert it's like good when you get the whole you know giant freak out in your browser that's like you know oh my gosh we don't trust this you know that's when the root cert is is something that's not trusted so adobe cold fusion doesn't ship its own list of its own key stores as trusted certs it just defaults to whatever your your jre has so if you're on a a vaguely recent version of java you, you pretty much always have the latest versions Lucy for various reasons because it, it has some additional functionality to automatically install stuff. It bundles its own copy of the, of the Keystore. The problem is Lucy is absolutely Horrible at ever updating this stupid key store and then the key stores used to almost never change, right? You rarely saw new root search come into place. So it was like, yeah, whatever, you know We'll update it 10 years from so now to be fine. The problem is SSL has been changing a lot recently and Lucy will have tickets just rot away in their backlog. Years of people being like, "Hey, we can't use these new GoDaddy certs because the you know the key store that Lucy ships with is like seven years old. Can we update it?" Um, so I'm actually a little worried because like Lucy needs to like get their butts in gear when it comes to this stuff. I'll be really honest because it it's just it kicks, bites people in the butt like over and over again. So Lucy needs to like actually somebody probably create a ticket for it because. <laughs> It might be like 17 years before Lucy gets around to updating the little, little key store. So um, anyway, I hate to rant about that, but like this has been like a super big pain point for people. And Lucy has been really bad about it because they had this like crazy old key stores they bundle and they never, ever, ever, ever update them. Um, and so uh, I hope this doesn't turn into a pain. When's the cutover date on this, Gavin?
0: Says March 2021. So we have so a basically year. basically
1: a year. Ugh. There's there's other parts of this conversation, which is there's a ticket that Joe Gooch put in quite a while ago, which uh, suggested that Lucy implement uh, a workaround that would actually like completely solve this. Um, it, you can you can create a, a trust manager where you have like a parent child relationship and you have like one key store and you look for the cert there. And if you don't find it, you have like a parent key store and you like, OK, let me look here before I fail. Um, and so Lucy could do that where it has its own little key store and it can auto import crap into it And then if it's not found it could say let me go look at the JRE's key store Oh, I found it here because they're on a recent JRE. We're all good to go Lucy doesn't do that and the ticket for that has been just growing dust and mold and mildew in the Lucy backlog Um, if I recall Joe Gooch even tried to send a pull request to Lucy for this and it just fell on deaf ears Which just irks me to no end um but anyway yeah i'm not really worried about adobe so much as long as people keep modern jres says adobe just uses jres key store i am worried about lucy if they don't take this seriously um so we'll see how that plays out um and we should make sure there's some tickets and some some racket made on the lucy end for that to be dealt with Yeah, thanks I mean, james moberg for pointing this out at the community though because
0: yeah because it's it's a big deal i mean imagine if all the history stuff broke i mean all of i mean if forge box stuff breaks and everything else i mean yeah, we've, we've got to make sure that we're on top of that, because that could cause some major problems for a lot of people. Yep. Okay. Okay,
1: enough ranting. I'm ranting about everything today. Let's everything say something positive ranty, about Gavin. Lucy, huh? <laughs> say something positive. I say a lot of positive stuff about Lucy. Adobe thinks that's all I ever say about Lucy, but if they listened to me, they would know.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, apparently um, Lucy actually released something. It was Zach Spitzer released Lucy something. Lucy didn't release
1: nothing. Zach Spitzer released something. <laughs>
0: So he released the Lucy log <laughs> viewer. So um, he's finally on got Forgebox, around to publishing no this on Forgebox. Yep. That's what I am gonna say. I thought gone. this
1: has been around for a long time or did he just like spice it up or something?
0: Well, he's done some uh, more features, I guess. Um, so aggregates all logs from a single combined view, search by date or string, order refreshing polling, filter by Your severity link is broken, or Gavin. The link you're that-
1: Your oh, link in the show notes. Wow. Well, he, did he rename the
0: package? He oh he have. did. Mm. He renamed it from
1: Lucy Log Viewer to a GUID.
0: Oh, that's not good. So,
1: well, it's not bad, but I hate it when people do that.
0: But yeah, so the link in his, in his blog post is wrong and the one we shared is wrong. But um apparently it is available there <laughs> somewhere. Um but it's got some nice features and whatever, so, you know.
1: I mean, so- Adobe called Fusion has like a built-in log viewer. All the, you know, out of the box log files, you can go into the web administrator, you can view the logs. Um, Lucy has like twice as many log files as Adobe because has the silly web and server context um, But there's no way to like view them in the admin and if you're on a remote server You don't have file system access to it's a total pain in the butt. So this is bas- this basically fills that that need there um, So which is which is pretty nice. Oh, he also resized the image on his readme I looked at this package yesterday and the image was like flying off the edge of Forge box like overlapping the boxes I was thinking to myself we should probably <laughs> fix our CSS so packages can't do that. Um, so uh, you should be able to install this. I haven't actually tested it. I, I've seen the blog post, so I've read about it. You should be able to install this from your Lucy administrator. It should show up as long as you're on Lucy 5.3 or later. It the, automatically pulls all uh, ForgeBox Lucy extensions in. Um, or if you use this uh, ugly GUID in the URL, you should be able <laughs> to use the, uh, the JVM args. Everything's a, a a sore point with me, Gavin. I argued with Misha years ago and begged him not to use GUIDs as the like primary IDs for packages because I thought it was the most like worthless, ugliest, hideous thing you could possibly imagine. I'm like, please, Misha, for the love of all things beautiful, like don't use these GUIDs (laughs) like, I mean, because the whole thing is he wanted uniqueness. I get it, right? He wanted to make sure the two extensions on two different providers wouldn't have the same ID but fine, right? Like, use, like, for the reverse domain name syntax or something, you know, com.spitzer.logviewer, right? That would be unique and it would actually be readable, but no, no we have GUIDs in a manifest good. file. I hate everything about it.
0: Good times. Uh, we
1: we're supposed to be saying good things about Lucy, weren't we? <laughs> <laughs> so many things that I'm annoyed about that I wish I could go back in time and change. Yep. Okay. okay.
0: So, next on the list, we have a, a blog post, and this is a an this interesting one thing. yeah but we want to share it um so ben Adele, obviously obviously big community member um had an interesting post where he says as a man i can be a better example than i have been and so i guess this all started from years ago at a conference a woman came up to him and said i really appreciate what you do but i think you're a terrible person and um so i guess you know at first he was amused at the sentiment you know um but the the long story short is that when he was younger he'd like to try and get people's attention and get a rise out of people and made some you know made some uh blog posts that reference women's physical characteristics and you know hot or not style ratings and that was kind of like a yeah his
1: blog was called kinky solutions and i mean everything was kind of themed in a sort of womanizing fashion
0: yeah and and you know if you've ever met him, and that's kind of what he says here, it's like he's an introverted person, shy, doesn't want to offend anybody, and you're super nice person and everything. You know, by the blog post like this, it wasn't coming across that way. And so, you know, over time, a lot of people have sort of said different things to him. And it's really in uh, this whole process of converting his blog posts, he went back and realized how nasty some of them were. And his I mean, he even said it, it made himself sick to see that type of stuff, because obviously... He's been writing this blog for fifteen, twenty years, and he's grown and evolved, and you know, At least. he's a better person. And so, um, you know, so this blog post is basically taking ownership of that and realizing that you know, he's he's different now, and you know, but what he's got on his blog is still out there for people to see. And so he's doing, he's removed all those blog posts, is going to be updating them and everything, he and moved you
1: about two hundred
0: and fifty posts. Yep, and so yeah, he's, it took
1: a lot of guts for Ben to. To yeah. say that um and ben hasn't blogged like that in years yeah but all the old content was still out there and i mean i would see tweets where people would find it and they'd be like "Ah, oh, what kind of douche is this guy you know and it was stuff from like 10 15 years ago so
0: yeah and so as he you know he he's basically took ownership and says you know what i was just trying to be, have fun and whatnot but i was wrong i made bad decisions and you know and so it was a really thoughtful blog post and you know i think he's you know bravo for taking ownership in it and you know i know a lot of people really appreciate him and support him on twitter and you know so i mean he's a big community member and he does a lot for the community but you know this is an extra step and so um yeah so it's it was a good blog post ben um and like i said i I think this just shows the true you. You know, say I've met him several times at conferences and he's the nicest guy in the world. He wouldn't hurt anybody. And for those of you that don't know, I mean, he has a scholarship set up where he actually donates to a lot of, um, a lot of different countries and women in different countries and, and everything that's, he's been doing the Kiva uh, donations mm-hmm. for a long time. So he supported 250 something women with scholarships and stuff, you know, and that type of thing, but not everyone knows all those types of things. So, anyway so uh, we wanted to point it out there um that yeah yes
1: lots of respect for ben we love you man and this was a great uh a really great step to take
0: yeah so and yeah definitely worth a read if if you guys want to you know see that but we have other blogs from ben as well so we'll go into those as well (laughs) so back to the coding styles of Ben. um He's also doing white some space.
1: stuff. White space. I need a, I need to make a mean this the the toy stores. Like I see white space everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, so he also did a blog post about avoiding self-closing iframe tags using HTML pass. So I guess um, because XML is valid to have self-closing for anything. HTML doesn't allow you to do that. So when he went through and was passing everything and trying to create the markdown for it, uh, he realized certain things like iframes were all (laughs) self-closing. So he had to to make some some workarounds to get that to work. So um, so that blog post sort of talks through that section there. And he's got a whole series, and we'll see a few more as we go through. But um, it's pretty interesting, like I said, you know 15 years of blog posts all of his blog posts converting them that's that's a major work <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's a lot
1: of stuff um yeah. i still don't quite understand what this blog post is about though i'm mean, going to get it involved something about iframes and something about self-closing was the problem that they didn't parse right what exactly yeah so
0: basically because valid xml if there's no children tags it would just cr- turn into a, a self-closing tag And so the iframes would show up as an HTML as a self-closing tag. And when he went to actually view it, it would be broken because iframes and HTML can't be self-closing. They have to have an open tag and a closing tag, even if there is no content. So.
1: Oh, I see.
0: So I I skimmed
1: this post the other day, but I didn't quite catch what it was. Okay, that's right. So he, he puts an HTML comment between the opening and closing iframe tags just to trick the parser into thinking it's not an empty tag.
0: Yep because yeah because the html pass is trying to be you know i don't think i
1: realized iframes couldn't be self-closing i mean i i rarely use them to be honest it's been years since i've used an iframe other than just copying and pasting embed code in which case i don't really pay attention but yeah that's interesting
0: yep it's just the little edge cases but i say it's good i know that ben you know blog post a lot of this stuff, just so later on he'll remember as well. And the funny thing is, I don't know how many times you do it, Brad, but I'm searching for something online quite often, the blog posts I find is mine <laughs> and I haven't even written that many blogs. Imagine Ben, you know, every blog post he searches for is probably. Him. <laughs> yeah, I've
1: definitely done that. I found my own tickets or blog posts and oh. yeah, for sure. I haven't written nearly a fraction of the content
0: that Ben has. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's really good. I mean, and that's one reason we recommend people blog because you will forget something you've learned so you know if you blog it, other people can use it too but you'll find it down the road and it'll be helpful okay we also had a tweet from kai koenig so yep he said one
1: positive of the pandemic sorry i interrupted you (laughs) no it's okay virtual conferences yeah
0: so it was kind of funny because um you know, a lot of people don't like traveling to the US on a regular basis anyway, or there's too hard to make it to certain conferences when they live uh, in different parts and, you know, it's so hard to get around, but. Yeah, one of the positives of pandemic is virtual conferences everywhere and so kai's pretty happy that um you know he he says as sad as the whole pandemic situation is conferences he'd never be able to attend because he's in the us uh, because they're in the usa or or whatnot and travel is too expensive now becomes accessible so he's happy that into the box is going virtual and he'll be joining us so it's kind of cool
1: yeah normally getting all the way uh to into the box from New Zealand is a, is a pricey, pricey ticket. So there's places that just weren't cost effective from to go before, so.
0: Yep, so yeah, so hopefully that'll be a reason that we get more people attending into the box this year, actually, because of the online nature. And hopefully, I
1: mean, cause our, our registrations for into the box basically just tanked. Like people stopped signing up about the time the quarantine stuff was going crazy. Um, which you know is completely understandable. So when we when we announced the virtual stuff and we re- re- reworked it all, we've been having registrations pouring in every day. So I'm very uh, pleased to see that because for a while it was kind of like just super disappointing, like oh man, like nobody's going to come to the box. What are we going to do? But there's yep. people signing up that otherwise probably wouldn't have even you know, been able to come when it wasn't virtual, so.
0: Yeah, and there are a lot of things that an in-person conference have that a virtual conference doesn't have. And I mentioned before, when you're presenting, it's nice to be able to get feedback from the audience so you can see if they got that joke or not or if they're asleep <laughs> or not. Nobody
1: got the joke, Gavin. Yeah. Nobody gets your jokes.
0: <laughs> I know, it's terrible. I just laugh at myself, but that's okay. But yeah, so there's other things that people want there, the networking and everything too. So we're, we're trying to come up with some little things that we can do to make the virtual conference more interactive too. You know, one thing about Zoom zoom if we we're going to use you know zoom or whatever too is you can have breakout rooms so we might be able to set up some little uh q a type rooms and whatnot we might have office hours we're going to try and do some extra things to try and make it You know, a little more interactive. Um, Maybe just have a general, just chit chat room during the lunch breaks. If people want to sit there and have their lunch, they can just chit chat openly.
1: Chit chat, chitty chitty chit chat.
0: So we're going to look at some of those options. There, not sure exactly what we're doing, so don't hold me to any of this. But you know, we want to try and add some of those networking things back in because you know that's one thing about in the
1: podcast, isn't it?
0: Like Wizarding Law at that point, only for the the people that are actually paying attention. So (laughs) nobody, nobody heard us. (laughs) <laughs> okay I heard nothing okay and so we obviously uh had a blog post that into the box is going virtual so not viral but virtual <laughs> every time i see that headline i read going viral yeah <clears throat> uh, i think it's a nice play on uh <laughs> on words there so yep so we got again may 7th to 8th 199 um so we have you know the obligatory blog post saying that we we understand there's an issue out there and we've got to do what we can to make it better. So, Fusion Reactor also had a blog post on database monitoring, so. I didn't even uh, see this one. Yeah, it snuck up on me too. It was actually posted last week, but, so it just gives By you.
1: My admin, the yeah. user named admin posted this one.
0: Yep, so it goes into a little more detail about what the database monitoring is available in Fusion Reactor, so it talks about some of that, and so. You know, gives you uh, what database monitoring is, advantages, um, performance, et cetera. So lots of different things, gives you the breakdown. Um, so it's a pretty nice blog post just to walk through. Um, again, we like Fusion Reactor. It's a great tool. Many uh, hours have been spent in here trying to find out why this query took so long. <laughs> um or why I have so many of those queries running in the first place. So yeah, so uh, nice little blog post if you guys want to get into it. You know,
1: I used Fusion Reactor just yesterday on to improve the uh, performance of a, a page on one of our client sites. It was taking just forever to load over our VPN. And I look in Fusion Reactor and I see there's like 1,500 individual queries running. And Fusion Reactor shows me what the queries are, and it's a whole bunch of updates: update this row, update this row. It's a really simple updates. It's reset in a status, but it, it did like you know, one thousand five hundred individual update one row at a time. And I was like, oh, that's why the page is so slow. So using the knowledge I had from Fusion Reactor, I went and I found the code and I refactored it to update all the rows in a single query, and the page like loaded instantly after that. I mean, the, Fusion Reactor is such a natural part of my workflow because um, what happened was I was working on a client site, I hit the page. I'm like, is that not loaded yet? What's it been like, 10 seconds? Next thing I'm doing, Fusion Reactor opening, active request. What are we doing? Running queries. Oh, how many? Oh, geez, 1,500 queries. I mean, database monitoring is just like a, it's like that. When I, when I have a page, that's taking a long time, and I think it's database, I go to Fusion Reactor, and it tells me this is what's happening, you idiot, and then I go fix the code.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely a big plus. Yeah. Uh- yeah, we've done a lot of work on that lately. A lot of legacy migration, that's one of the big things you'll you'll go through and just see what is it actually doing, <laughs> you know, so.
1: What on earth is it doing?
0: So uh, another blog post here from Charlie about the addressing the same site cookie issues before Adobe offers an update. Um, and so there was an update here. So we actually does update the blog post. So um, Adobe does address the problem now they have that little hot fix, but before that, there was information in there as well. So um, what is the same site it seems like cookie issue? What can you do? And then it actually links to Jane Mosberg's uh, UDF, his user-defined function that he created. So if you guys are looking at that, um, you know you may want to look through this blog post there as well. Again, there thanks, Charlie, for sharing that information. I like Charlie, like he brings all the information together and puts it in one place. Because sometimes you can find it, but you gotta piece it together yourself. But a lot of times Charlie doesn't write a lot of the articles, he'll just bring it all together and and present it in a way that you can just, you know, consolidates. Yep, exactly. Okay, we also had one um, from Ben again, dealing with HML Pass and how well this is a great picture on his website here. Here's some of the troublemakers. But, um, reading I didn't ex-
1: get that picture. I got a different picture. Uh,
0: reading XML values from, X, sorry, XML text values from an XML document produced by HTML pass and Lucy, um, you said that originally there were escaped HTML entities like this. Oops. Uh, but then... Um, when you basically pull out the HTML takes, it's the unencoded entities. So he wanted to try and get them back because obviously he was converting them over to Markdown. He's still one of those HTML entities there, so he had to work through the process of you know basically going through and getting the the entities back. Out of curiosity,
1: why did he need it to be HTML encoded as part of the Markdown?
0: Um, I think it was because some of the like greater than or less than signs would mess up as HTML and so, but if you wanted to, if
1: you wanted to escape mark characters that are meta characters from Markdown, wouldn't you apply a Markdown escaping to it? Not an HTML escape or does Markdown use HTML escaping?
0: Well, a lot of times Markdown allows you just to put HTML in it. I think a lot of the time that's what he was doing. Um, So I have
1: seen that where Markdown engines will let you have like a div tag and they'll just let it pass through as HTML.
0: Yeah. So,
1: I mean, as far as I know, a greater than sign wouldn't like break a Markdown document. Like I don't think greater than is a special character in Markdown, which is why I'm kind of curious, like what the, what's this premise based on?
0: Well, I mean, but if you had, you know, something like this, the main tag that would actually create a tag and not actually output the main tag. So you'd want to have the encoding. So on the page, oh, they I, see that.
1: Okay, that makes sense. So if the Markdown parser you're using just passes through any HTML tags directly.
0: Yeah. And that's what yeah. that's what content box does for some of the Markdown documents that we have. So
1: Yeah, I think that's fairly uh, ubiquitous as far as Markdown parsers just passing through HTML. So that makes yeah. sense. So if you had text that looked like HTML, but it wasn't really, you'd need to escape it. Um, yeah. I ha- I don't think I'd actually seen this post just skimming through it. I mean, I, I assume the solution was just to encode for HTML or similar.
0: Yeah, I'm so trying to
1: find where he actually shows how he fixed it.
0: Looks like he's using the the two string and then listing the rest. Two string produces a f- the following string where it has the encoding. So it's huh. Yeah. I mean,
1: I just would have taken the text and then re-encoded what I wanted to be re-encoded again.
0: That's just, I think Yeah, just... You know, so like, super- ex-
1: extract it out of the XML into its pure original form, and then, based on what you're putting it into, in this case, Markdown, if required, re-encode whatever bit you want encoded. I wouldn't have necessarily tried to, like, get the original. I'd be like, let the XML untangle itself into text and then re-encode it based on the input. But
0: Yeah, hmm. I don't know. Pretty interesting um, post though. Yeah, like I say, he's dealing with a lot of real world program uh, problems. I mean, with a lot of times we'll legacy migration, we're doing this type of stuff, maybe not to mark down, but we're trying to go through clean stuff up and we're using some passes to go and, you know, remove certain things or update certain pieces. Um, so pretty interesting. Next, we also had the blog post about command box 5.0.1. Oh
1: look, when those patch releases, So what's funny is the the Command Box 501 release was uh, other than a pull request I had gotten for some cab completion stuff, there's only like five tickets in that release, and all of them save that one random pull request are all related to the Docker usage of Command Box. So there was a couple more tweaks that we had found in the uh, being able to start a server from a shell script feature um, that we put in the latest Docker images. And so before John released the 300 Docker images, he wanted a couple more little tweaks added into CommandBox. So that's why I pushed out that 501 release. So he could in turn push out his 300 release for Docker.
0: Yep. Uh, I mean, generally
1: yep. speaking, if you're just using command box for just your local stuff, there's probably nothing in particular you necessarily care about in the 501 release. Um, it, it's a very small release. You're welcome to update to it. It's not going to hurt anything. Oh, I guess technically... I did change from Lucy 53477 to 53480 because that was the latest stable at the time I released it. Yeah. Um
0: and that so. did make a difference.
1: <laughs> it it fixed it it fixed one of the known issues <laughs> with the 534 release. Unfortunately, the other known issues of 534 apparently are not going to be fixed in the 534 line as a stable release. They're fixed in the snapshot builds of 534, but it looks like they're never going to go anywhere. But anyway, I've I've hated on Lucy enough today, so (laughs) I'll let that dog die or whatever.
0: Yep. So we also had a tweet from Dr. Domsky. I don't know who that is, but uh, it's all about staying safe. So they uh, thought, Basically, since everything is all about staying safe at the moment, it's a really good post on keeping your user inputted HTML safe. So there's a blog post from oh, Microsoft, and I it's, saw that it's one. an older one, but, uh, still a good one. So it's using anti-Sami. Um, so if you guys haven't used anti-Sami, it's a, it's a library to basically help you with cross-site scripting and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, basically you have dirty input your policy file gives you a clean output. So there's some, um, you know, some different options and there's a forge box package for it, of course. So you can use anti sammy Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure so.
1: the latest version of Adobe Fusion has anti-SAMI baked in, does it not?
0: Um, probably does. And this Lucy
1: example shows them loading a bunch of jars manually. Does Lucy not added that feature?
0: This, and I was trying to see how old this blog post was because I don't know when they posted it, but I believe mm. this is not a, a recent one.
1: Oh, it could be just a repost of an elder blog.
0: Yeah, they just, yeah, right, just, just showed like, a long one.
1: Date that says when it was posted. Just well, if they do
0: now, it was like 4-24-2019, so I'm probably guessing that would be a good time for it. So it's about a year old. So I sort of hate anti-SAMI
1: only because I think people use it in the wrong place. I think people get confused about what anti-SAMI is for, and they use it for purposes where it's not intended. It's like the... the Fix all. Oh, I'll pass everything through anti-SAMI. That'll fix my problems. Um, anti sammy is only if you have user input that you expect to have HTML, like a forum where people can put bold tags around things, but you just only want to allow a subset of HTML tags. B tags, A tags, you know, I tags are, are acceptable, but I just don't want these other tags. Anti-SAMI is not intended for a form where a user is just putting in data which should never have HTML of any kind. You just simply want to be able to escape that data when outputting it on the next page so it can't have malicious things in it. But I've seen people overuse anti-SAMI like, oh, I'll just pass everything to anti-SAMI, that'll solve my problems. No. But anyway, random (laughs) rant about that. Um, Most, the the funny thing is most people don't need anti-SAMI when they use it. They think it's like a general purpose, this will make your site safe. And it's like, no, it's for inputs that you expect a subset a valid HTML tag. It's the only time we should be using anti-SAMP. But anyway, I don't, I don't know. That's another rant of my own. I get...
0: Yep. <sighs> I wish so it's not a new podcast, rant. Brad's Rants.
1: Oh, well, you <laughs> know, I don't. if any <laughs> of you British people might listen to, uh, or might be familiar with the show Mitchell and Webb or that Mitchell and Webb look, um, uh, David Mitchell's Soapbox was a spinoff from that. And it was just basically the the, the character, I say character, it's his real name. David Mitchell would just sit and rant For like five minutes about like how Americans misuse the Queen's English you know the Queen's English um he doesn't quite talk like that but it's just funny and of course the British do like biting like making fun of you humor better than anybody um I was showing my daughter some of those yeah it could be like the Bradwood soapbox I sit and complain about how people don't sanitize their form inputs
0: hey you've got you've got several subscribers in the live (laughs) chat already so you we
1: have a new podcast in the making.
0: <laughs> well, Brad if you get extra time during this pandemic, start a rant podcast. I'm sure you've got oh, plenty of content. Well,
1: let me get the screencast out of it first.
0: <laughs> okay. So we also had a live uh a tweet from Matt Clemente about his live streaming. So last week he also live streamed. So it looks like every Wednesday about 530 Pacific, 830 Eastern, 730 Central PM for all of those, uh, he's been live streaming every week. I don't know if he's going to be doing it this week or not, so we didn't. You no, know, I haven't it. had a
1: chance to watch any of them. I see them on Twitter, but Wednesdays have always been a church night for me, and so I am always heading out of the house. But now that I am stuck at home for the rest of my life, I might actually be able to tune into <laughs> one of his,
0: yeah, so of those things. So, yeah, so we've got the link there um, for the the tweet as well as the link to the video from last week. But he's basically building on top of what he did last week, which was building custom commands. So we'll see if he's got another one this week. So, but yeah, thanks for sharing Matt. And uh, he usually blogs about them later. So uh, I'm sure we'll see a blog post about that coming soon. And here's actually an right. older blog post that I missed last week. Cause there was so many last week. I couldn't keep up. Um, well, we're but, almost done. Yep. We're
1: <laughs> like an hour and 15 now. Yeah, Brad's happens rants. when Brad starts ranting is...
0: Yep. So David Bry is posted on the ColdFusion portal saying, can't find ColdFusion talent. Maybe it's time to reevaluate mm. allowing remote work. And that's pretty timely considering everyone has to work remotely now. <laughs>
1: Quite timely.
0: So, uh, yes. this might even be more important because now people can work from home. They are working from home and they might realize that it actually works, although people are looking at the numbers too much and not actually working. But, mm-hmm. um, so his blog post was basically saying, developers are always looking for jobs, jobs, are always looking for developers. Maybe if they allow remote work, everyone can get a job and people can find the people it, they it need. It goes and, through
1: a bunch of like common issues people have with remote work and then addresses them and says, well, here's how you can work around that. So
0: yeah. And so nice. I think it's a really good blog posts and yeah, sorry, I missed that one last week, everybody, but it makes even more sense this week. So, um, yeah,
1: <laughs> I like this section. Donald duck was ahead of his time. Is pointing out the fact that Donald Duck is like dressed from like the waist up and he's naked from the waist <laughs> down, which is a. I, I may not be even wearing pants right now. Who knows? As long as I don't stand up.
0: Uh, we don't want to find out. <laughs> <It's a> secret. <laughs> yep. So, pretty good. Okay. So, let's jump that. Let's get into find a job so we have several jobs this week uh right now on getcfmljobs.com there's 25 jobs from 21 companies 19 locations in five countries
1: one in my backyard overland park that's yep. like the next suburb over from me
0: yeah so the so two new, new ones this week
1: is. oh ulig i know ulig they have yep. a lot of cold fusion stuff
0: yeah so a full-time they use cold developer. box too
1: they use cold box
0: cool cool so yeah i'm so, to
1: use it for everything but i know that i, I actually uh, i applied at ulig years ago um, they're a, a pretty cool place.
0: Yep. So they have a full-time software developer called fusion at Overland park, Kansas city or Kansas, I guess not. Is that Kansas city in there?
1: It, well, I mean, it's in the Kansas city metro, uh, Overland park is on the Kansas side of a state line. Uh, I mean, it's kind of just right in the middle of the metro over on the Kansas side, but yeah.
0: Okay. So, um, that was posted on the 20th and also there was another job posted on the 20th full-time cold fusion developer at Chennai, Uh, tamina do in india and so that's available on the supermailjobs.com site as well so there you go cool cool okay so forge box module of the week scott steinbeck just mentioned it actually in the in the channel steinbeck whoops by eric peterson with some recent contributions by scott steinbeck or if you're
1: a midwesterner it should be oh (laughs)
0: <laughs> Just drop the first half of the word? Sure. <laughs> so this uh, interactive debugger for exceptions in CFML and coldbox box, uh, they blatantly copied it from flip.github.io slash whoops. Imitation
1: is a serious form of flattery, Gavin.
0: Yep. Um, it's got a lot of cool stuff. So yeah, um, basically um, what it does, it takes a, a simple error debugger. And I think I even have a video here somewhere. If I can find it, I can share
1: it. But it, it replaces the default error template in in ColdBox, right?
0: Yep, but this is what it looks like for those who are watching. It actually allows you to click on the different pieces of the stack trace and see that focused and it even gives you a little open button now to open an editor directly from from the actual you know error message, which is pretty neat. So a lot of times it's hard to go find the trace and then go back and find where it's actually being called, but it'll do it for you. Uh, give you the open editor and it opens in eight different types of editors too. So there's stuff for like VS Code and even Atom and stuff like that, Sublime. So pretty neat. Um, but yeah, it's got a lot of updates recently from Scott, but it really makes it a more usable interactive debugger instead of just a line of, you know, a whole bunch of text. And I hate going through stack traces. So and I think whoops it's has pr- been
1: around for quite some time, if I recall.
0: Yeah, that's um, what I remember them saying something about a long time ago, but I completely let's forgot look at about it. let the versions
1: tab on Forgebox, Gavinio. Oh my gosh, June thirteenth, two thousand seventeen, was in V one of Whoops was published. So it's been around for like two and a half years.
0: Yep, and Eric's. Um, you know basically on his little soapbox trying to get it as the default error um, template for Coldbox six we'll see if luis will cave to that request or not
1: yeah but, i think that would be awesome i mean because all you have to do is basically just set it as a setting uh to be the default default uh, thing you want to take any bets on if we do that on how long it is before people like let that slip up into production and it's like the default production Thing. Yeah, because
0: the one thing about Whoops is basically Dude. if that module is installed, uh, it basically takes over the <coughs> error handler. And so if you and it basically shows
1: you the code, right?
0: Yeah, if you accidentally install Ugh. it into um, you know production, then that would show up in production. We should you need to check make sure with Gavin and
1: see, or, or Scott, see if there's like a failsafe in there that if the environment is set to production in ColdBox, it'll just like, disable itself because it's basically like a viewer of your of your source code, you know? Yeah um we'll so see. the the potential if that got put in production on accident for you know a malicious person to cause an error in your site and just be able to like browse your code could be a little uh unless i misunderstand exactly how it works but
0: yeah i think um i think we should add that as a pull request or an, an issue just to say if you're in production mode that it has a a lockdown version which Is, just it, doesn't take you over we so. we
1: know from experience, as framework authors, if you make a super dangerous feature and you just tell your users in a little note at the bottom of the readme, now remember, don't put this in production. You're like, well, I did my due diligence. Like everybody in the world will push the stupid thing right out to production because oh, you're still like you you have to like put in fail safes, or or the the most dangerous stuff will end up in production even though you told them. Yeah, so, that
0: might be a good thing to 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 do. Just basically have a a fail safe in there if it notices in production that it just errors, you know, well not errors, but doesn't output, doesn't take over. But it Scott said your he,
1: bank account and sends the contents to Scott Steinbeck.
0: Yeah, um, but he said he added all the cold box scopes into it and everything, so it should be pretty interesting. Like I said I haven't even installed it yet. I I want to definitely try that out. But they've been sharing all the videos in the box team chat, and I've been like. Ooh, I want to play with this. I forgot it even existed. So so we had to make that module of the week. So thank you, Eric, for creating it and Scott for all the work lately. And then it had been plugging away pretty hard on that and getting a lot of updates into it. So very cool.
1: Oh, I see. So the way they open up editors is they have a link and the format is like VS Code colon slash slash file slash. I and mean, then the path to the file colon line number. And I assume when you install, say, VS Code, for example, it registers a listener for links that start with that. So when you click that link, it'll just fire the native application you've installed. So each of these, VS Code, Insiders, Sublime, TextMate, Emacs, all these have their own custom link that the browser associates with. That's pretty typical, though. That's pretty cool. I like that.
0: Yep, pretty neat. Okay, so next we have the VS Code and tips and tricks of the week, and actually this one is something that's built into uh, VS Code. I was actually going to install an extension for it. I am um, yeah,
1: looking for the link here. I am like, where is the link in the show notes?
0: Yeah, I was gonna. Box. We're working with a client, and we're dealing with some documentation, and we have you know some of these search endpoints that have a bazillion parameters you can pass into the search, and we're like, man, it'd be really nice if these were alphabetized. And I was like, I wonder if there is <laughs> an extension for that. So I just hit. F one on on the Windows to see. Okay, well, maybe I already have one installed. You know, I've got all these file utils and everything. So I just typed sort lines, and it brought up sort lines ascending, descending. And So, so you I could,
1: hi- like, so you highlight like a list of keys in the struct or something?
0: Yeah, and so the thing is, it only does lines at this time. So this one's just for sorting lines. So if they're all single lines, you just select them and then you hit. You know, hit so F1 what would or
1: happen if you hit Control A? F1 would it sort the entire file and is completely ruined. Well, you have
0: to push F1 and then choose sort lines. Because F1 for me is my command palette opener, Mm -hmm. you know. So, but yes, that's what I did accidentally on a struct, and it organized all the curly braces to the end and all the keys (laughs) to the top. (laughs) And all that
1: that could go wrong pretty quickly.
0: (laughs) Thankfully, undo works. Uh,
1: (laughs) It would be it would be a cool kind of extension of this feature to be able to say sort all the functions in a file alphabetically. But of course that's obviously a bit more complicated. You'd have to know where the function start and stop it'd be different per language, but.
0: Yeah, and I know there is, um, you know, a bunch of different extensions out there, but this one just sort lines is easy as that. So if you pull up your command palette, type sort lines, it'll give you ascending, descending, and it'll allow you to sort your line. So Can you've you got sort a bunch them of
1: condescending though. That's my favorite.
0: <sighs> There's no Brad option yet. Sorry.
1: Make work your new favorite.
0: Yeah, uh, and then, Scott said, um, "Just about the previous one, we have to configure your editor and your .env file for it to to work nicely with the the Whoops tool." But but yeah, so this one I just thought you know I'll let you guys know that VS Code there's a lot of great extensions out there, but there's a lot of stuff that's built into it already. You know, so there's a lot of things you don't even need to get an extension for. So that was one of them, and uh, I tell you, my client loved it, and we started alphabetizing everything. <laughs> so yeah pretty good
1: uh does it work if you have does it do a text or is it always a text sort as opposed to numeric
0: um i i didn't mess with that enough all i know is that basically it was this probably is just takes um everything if
1: if you had like a bunch of struck keys that were all like numbers um you know when you do a text sort on numbers then you know stuff like 10 is above 2 or you know however it works
0: yeah, I got gotcha. you. No, I mean, I, I'm assuming it's just simple text. It doesn't, didn't seem to have anything special, but I was just working with some simple, um, you know, arguments to uh, functions and stuff like that. So nothing too fancy, but yeah. So there's a lot of good features in there. The sort lines works pretty nice. So um, yeah, make sure you alphabetize your parameters and stuff to make your life easy when you're trying to figure out which of the 35 things here are you actually going to use. So okay.
1: All right. Well that brings us to our Patreon supporters, including our new supporter. Who's that, Gavin?
0: Katie Holmes is our new supporter. And Isn't we actually like an actor. Uh she married Tom Cruise.
1: Wow, I didn't know she even listened to us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that's is it Katie Holmes? I don't even know. I probably got it wrong. But yeah, so Katie Holmes is our newest supporter, so thank you, Katie. And I believe we have another one even that I haven't got the name of. So we're, we've been adding quite a few lately. So we appreciate all of your support. And for those that don't remember, um, Patreon support goes directly to supporting this podcast and our other podcasts that we have, all in the Modernizer Die podcast family. So Soapbox, CFML News, as well as the Conference podcast. And... Once we meet our goal for that, then the the funds for that will also go to help things like Command Box, Forge Box, Code Box, Content Box, Test Box, etc. So we've got a lot of great um, um, levels there. So if you go to patreon.com slash order solutions, you can find all of those uh, those different plans. So if you want to, you know, even something as little as $10 a month all goes to help us. So we really appreciate all your help. So, you're going to complain that it's your turn again, right? No, I did it last week. <laughs> so, okay. It's your turn. My turn? Okay. So, thank you, Andrew Davis, Brian White, Calvin Steddon, Lee, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, David Bellinger, Tadea Nicky, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Jan Yannick, Jeremy Adams, John Farrar, Jordan Clark, Joseph Lamery, Katie Holmes, Laxmo Tarahari, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Richard Herbert, Samuel Knowlton, Scott Steinbeck, VJ, and Yogesh Mather. So thanks everybody. Uh, we really appreciate all your support via Patreon. And you guys can see your names listed up on autosolutions.com slash about dash us slash sponsors. And you can see some of the other sponsors that we have as well. But. Uh, if you guys would like to find out more, again patreon.com slash Solutions. you can see all the packages available. So you can support this podcast. So if you're still listening after all this time, you know, maybe you'll like us enough to <laughs> think about supporting us. But maybe our
1: longest podcast time ever. Time it, it, it might 430?
0: be Oh my gosh, we might need to break this out into different sections. And I'm actually thinking about uh taking some of these podcasts and ripping out all the the CF the VS code uh hints tips and the, the forge box modules and making their own little challenge. Little little chunks. Yeah, because people about Might want to do that. Political just,
1: podcasts do that. They have like an hour long podcast and they kind of break up little chunks. So people that don't want to don't have a full hour but they want to get a little sound bite will do that.
0: Yeah. So maybe we just do that and just take Brad's rants and take out an hour and 25 mm. minutes of this podcast. And say, and yeah, there. that's gonna be like
1: <laughs> 90% of the time. We I mean, nothing left.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we might have a few extra things. But anyways. Well thanks everybody. It's time for bed. Uh, (laughs) had a long one today but uh, thanks everybody for listening and yeah hopefully you guys can uh, go sign up for ITB 2020 online and we'll see you guys all there see you next week adios guys bye show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes we also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.